0: It's Monday, June 26th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 166 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation uh, between myself and another musician, Today, that musician is guitarist and uh, multi-instrumentalist Dave Harrington. Let's have a listen. Dave Harrington is with us, and uh, it's a good one. Before we get into it, I just want to say thanks to everyone who came out to Arte this last week uh, for the live podcast taping with Peter Evans. Um, it was a lot of fun. The music is great. Peter's new band is, is or I guess it's a, a new configuration of his ongoing band, is, is just fantastic, and it was a good time. I'm going to put that one up next week. Also want to let you know that if you live in any of the following cities, come check me out this week. Uh, tomorrow night, the 26th, I'll be playing in Washington, D.C. at Rhizome. The following night, the 27th, I'll be in Richmond at Black Iris. And the night after that, I'll be in Asheville at Static Age Records. If you're around, come on out. I'll be playing solo, and it should be fun. All right, Dave Harrington. Do you guys know Dave? I met him last summer, uh, and I'm surprised it took us that long to meet. I met him through my my great friend and collaborator, Brian Chase. Um, And Dave is just on a personal level, a very enthusiastic and uh, uh, affable person. You'll hear that in the conversation today. Um, but beyond that, and, and more importantly, perhaps for, for this part of the talk, uh, he's just an amazing guitar player. I hate to say this, but when I uh, you know see a guitar player show up with you know, more pedals than guitar, I, I, I get skeptical, and Dave is really one of the few exceptions that I've seen who, you know, the pedals are used in such a singular and unique way, um, where, number one, the guitar still shines through, but the use of the pedals is really creating, like, a full ambient soundscape where they're like their own orchestra, and It's an amazing thing to listen to. It's an amazing thing to watch when you see him play. Really just, like, total mastery over his setup. Uh, We talk about that a good bit today. Dave leads his own group called the Dave Harrington Group. Um, They just put out an amazing record called Be Alive. By just put out, I mean, in the last year or two. For many years, he was one half of the duo Dark Side with Nicholas Jar. Recently, he led a group, uh, I'm so bummed I missed it, uh, at Pioneer Works in Brooklyn, doing a piece that was, uh, I guess, sort of an homage to the work of Brian Geisen and and William S. Burroughs called Dream Machine. And when I, you know, when I say an all-star band, it was the master musicians of Jujuka, Greg Fox, Trevor Dunn, Zena Parkins, I mean, really an incredible group of musicians. And, uh, you know, you'll hear today. Dave's a great guy. He's originally from New York City. We talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about New York today. And um, on another episode that's coming up soon, we kind of just talk about New York. I, I hope that's interesting to you guys. I don't know. I like talking about New York. I find it endlessly fascinating. Um, Dave's a good guy. And I would strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that you check out all of his stuff. It's really well-crafted, thoughtful, well-put-together music. Um, he's, a, he's a great musician. And if you want to find out more about him, go to his website, which is herringtone.com H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N-E.com. Good shit. If you're enjoying this show, please do uh, a couple of the following things or one of the following things. Rate and review it in iTunes. That helps. Word of mouth. That's how this stuff keeps going. Uh, Go to iTunes. Rate it. However you feel about it. You hate it. You love it. Put in a review. Say, hey, I like this show a lot or this guy's a fucking idiot. Whatever you feel, but it it helps. Uh, And then check out the Patreon patreon.com slash 5049podcast Uh, you can throw in a few bucks it helps Um, and that's it here's my conversation with Dave Harrington
1: I've been listening to the the new bootleg one they put out the thing with Train. Yeah. The, like, four CD set or whatever. That is... It's so wild. ...revelatory music.
0: <laughs> it's because so wild. Dude, the <laughs> solos that Train takes... Yeah. ...on the very first cut... Yeah. I mean, he it's its like listening to Evan Parker, just complete abstract noise. Yeah.
1: My friend, my really good friend, Will Epstein, um, who's a sax player and a long-time Coltrane nut, yeah. he was the one who was like, you gotta listen to this. And I was like, okay. And then I did, and he, we're still trying to decide if it's... Thank you. Cheers, man. Cheers.
0: Wait, what, what are you trying to decide?
1: We're still trying to decide if the, um... If, like, it's booing or cheering or both. It sounds when, like cheering, <laughs> but I can't believe that it is. Originally, Will thought it was booing, and then we started, like, debating it, and I think that it's cheering.
0: Did he have those bootlegs before they were commercially no, available? No, he
1: just, he just was the one who, like, listened to them recently and turned me onto it. I mean, it,
0: that shit grabbed me. I have like an Apple Music subscription. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, I mean, you, know, and you can see I own tons of Miles records, tons of Coltrane records. Uh, but I, I'll just go to Apple Music and I'm like, oh, fuck, I've, ever lis- I've never really listened to you know, Lush Life or something. Yeah. Like, so I'm kind of checking in with a lot of stuff. And I saw it sitting there. I was like, oh, is this just like, some other, like another stupid collection, like a greatest hits thing? Right. And it knocked me on my ass.
1: Yeah. They're wild. And the set lists are so crazy, too, because it's that crossing yeah period yeah
0: what well, so what the story is that was that stuff was recorded as train was on his way out,
1: yeah, that's my understanding,
0: yeah, and he was already doing like crazy he was shit. already
1: he was already doing like the next thing, but they were also still playing the like pre so what tunes in right. the set list as well there and train was already like felt sounds like you know kind of knee deep into his next set of ideas.
0: It's so... I, I've been spending a lot of time with Coltrane lately. I mean, I, I've been spending a lot of time with Coltrane since sure. I was 17. Yeah. But since the Trump election, I, I felt like a need to really connect <laughs> with that music. Yeah,
1: that's like a like a spiritual salve.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. It's...
1: <laughs> I, I don't... I feel... I think that I've been doing the same, actually, but with Miles. Like, with go, Miles? Listening to Round Midnight and kind of blue again for the first time in like like really like rinsing those records again for yeah. the first time since I was probably in high school.
0: You haven't carried Kind of Blue all the way through?
1: Well, I became a like real like bitches brew is my like worship era of yeah. Miles. Um and so I became like you know, I'm I'm like the better part of a decade into like still being obsessed with that era of
0: that music it's pretty insane
1: <laughs> it never see it never stops it never stops surprising me when i listen to it
0: bitches brew specifically or is
1: brew specifically and then like a little before a little after
0: yeah yeah it's really scary music yeah and it really whatever confluence of circumstances that that helped create it which was you know virtuosity curiosity a producer who has some crazy ideas as well. Like what it, like still, I don't know that even in contemporary jazz, that confluence of things of like, of of what I just said, where it's truly abstract music. Yeah. I, I don't, I still don't think anyone's done it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be, that would be, I mean, it's for me, it's such a touchstone that, yeah, it's almost untouchable, but it's like, it's the thing that I feel like I'm chasing. (laughs) Or like personally, yeah, is like to me because it's all of those things. It's like it's a it's you can feel the players, but it's not technique forward, right? And you can feel the record being touched by the studio. Uh huh. Those are like those are what those are like the two things that are most important to me. And it has this you know cross section between like the whatever you want to call like whatever like. Not in the genre way, but the fusion element, you know, where Uh it's like the little bit of pulling in from the electronics and that sort of stuff. To me, that's like those are those are the big themes for me. (laughs) I mean, I I heard
0: that I heard Bitches Brew well before I ever really heard anything by Dolphy Mm -hmm. and hearing Benny Maupin come in. With the bass clarinet is like a terrifying sound. It sounds like it's something from the classical world is just cracked open, mm-hmm. and I mean just the sound of an instrument is so evocative.
1: Well, and the idea that he to me like he's in the rhythm section, right? You know that's like a year of thinking from you know to me like you could listen to that record for a year and just listen to the way he plays the bass clarinet in that context. You know the fact that to me it becomes like he exists somewhere between the bass and the guitar. Yeah, in like where he slots into the into the music.
0: Yeah yeah
1: it's also i've never not
0: known that record i've I've never known that record to not be anything other than like a four to five disc collection of outtakes and well documented like i can't even imagine what it would be like to just experience it as like a like a one-shot deal you know yeah i don't know i mean how did you (laughs) how did you first hear that shit i
1: don't know i mean
0: you're from new york yeah and i was just asking you if you're like what generation new yorker you are
1: yeah well so i grew up on the upper west side my parents were uh, journalists, and really? yeah, and um, and so they they like, you know, I was born in eighty five. When so and then like they have got an apartment on the Upper West Side when it was like about the transition. Yeah,
0: like Amsterdam Avenue was still a pretty Amsterdam, scary. Place. Yeah, it was
1: like I mean, it's like. After dark, I could walk home on Eighty Sixth Street, but not Eighty Fifth Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it was yeah, like yeah. you know, Eighty Fifth Street. There's a Montessori school there. Now right. that used to be like a, either a crack house or a halfway house or something. Did you go to the a same Montessori building? School? No, I went to a New York private school situation. Which one? <laughs> Like, this feels like the worst thing I could possibly... Which No, I don't have shame about it. Yeah. But it just, I just Dalton? worry... Dalton? Where'd you go? Dalton. Yeah. I just worry that it'll change the way that you look at me, man. No, I mean, <laughs> like, all, my, right friends, the all my friends in New York
0: went to private school. Every one yeah. of them. I have, like, two friends who went to fucking public schools in New York and both of them are, like, like you could tell by looking at them, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that your first two guesses for me, yeah, those. Yeah, I accept. I accept that yeah. I am who I am. Yeah. yeah, and and it was great. Yeah, but I mean, I the upper west side is
0: like. Do you like the movie Death Wish with Charles Bronson? Yes. There's that great line in the movie where you know, as as he's gone out a couple times at night, to, yeah, 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 and it, they're talking. He's at work. They're talking about the vigilante, and one of them is like, "Well, what do you think?" And he says, "Well." Take a walk on Columbus Avenue tonight and let me know what you think.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at that time, Columbus Avenue was pretty sketchy. It was scary. That, yeah. And now it's a mall, but that's fine.
0: Right. But it still wasn't even that. I mean, I remember I used to work at a bar on the Upper West Side, like Morningside Heights, rather. Mm-hmm. And it was still like, if you wanted to buy herb, it was like, go over to Amsterdam Avenue.
1: Right. Could, I mean, it was still like, you know, <laughs> right. just, just off yeah, the park. Yeah. Just stand on the corner somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I, man, I love the Upper West Side. Oh, me too. I, I like, I, it's funny. My, my, um, my mom just sold the apartment. She really? lived there. She just retired and moved upstate, or to Hudson Valley. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was up there recently getting the end of my stuff out of that place because she, held, you know, buying an apartment in the mid-'80s, you know, in an up-and-coming neighborhood, yeah, that's still kind of <laughs> sketchy. She just lived there for the last 30 years. She probably made out okay. <laughs> yeah, She now yeah. She's, now she can... You know, go chill, chill, and garden, and go to yoga class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you were you were taking. I out, was like, like, I was up there, and I, well, and I just, I still get nostalgic going up there because of that neighborhood. There's something about it. But eating love. at Big
0: Nicks and yeah,
1: and like going to go, like just going to Zay bars and walking around in Zay bars. You know, so
0: you were Zay bars <laughs> more than Barney.
1: Zay bars and H and H Bagels when H yeah. when it used to be the one that was open 24 hours. Yeah, and you could go in. It was, like, on the corner across the street from Zabar's. You can go in in the middle of the night, uh-huh. and they just give you whatever was ready.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's how That's how. But, cu- like, they Coast won't make you
1: sandwiches, to. but you could, like, get... Right. You could get, like, a packet of locks and you could get a thing of cream cheese, and they'd give you, like, a bag, and you could buy yeah. a bag of whatever was hot at
0: four in the morning. I mean, I, the Upper West Side, I was there not long ago. In the last couple weeks, I went, up to, I went and had lunch at Barney Greengrass a couple weeks ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um... It doesn't feel, like, that dramatically different up there. Like, down here, it feels dramatically right. different. Like, I've yeah. taken something.
1: <laughs> Motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I could still go up there and still wander around Zabar's, and you still go to Barney Greengrass, yeah. and some of that, and that book, that tiny bookshop that's across the street from uh, Zabar's is still there. Yeah. It's been there for as long as I've been alive, I think. Yeah, so yeah, some yeah. of that is still there, yeah. I like that. I do like that neighborhood. I like it whenever I get it. Did you go to summer camp growing up? I went to... um, I went to... I did... I always did, like, music in the summertime. Uh Uh-huh. And I did... um, Most of the summers, when I was a kid from, like... I guess, maybe end end of middle school, up through high school, I was at the Harlem School of the Arts. Oh! Which is where I also did, like... That was, like, my musical that was like my shadow education that was uh-huh. like my other education was going to the Harlem School of the Arts and so I would go there like three days a week during the year uh-huh. and then I'd spend most of the summer there
0: guitar lessons
1: I was a jazz bass player in those you days. started upright bass <laughs> or electric <laughs> it's like upright yeah. upright and electric yeah but upright yeah.
0: was the first instrument
1: um well I had the you know my my parents and Uh, put up with the, like, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to try this, I want to do that. Yeah. Like, in a very nice way for me when I was a kid. So, like, the first, like, there was the, like, cursory, like, you know, year of piano lessons when that's kind of all you're big enough to do. Sure. And then, when I was in elementary school, Eddie Locke, who's, like, a kind of obscure, semi-obscure, like, uh, bebop, hard bop Uh drummer, Uh was teaching like play with coleman hawkins and stuff yeah was teaching drum lessons to kids at the elementary school i was going to before i went to dalton right so like when i was in second grade i took like a couple of years of first grade second grade of drum lessons with eddie Locke in like the boiler room where they had like stashed him (laughs) 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 that's so fitting um it says so much it was like some it was but it seemed like he had gotten it was like like a retirement plan where he, it felt, and where he, like, there were, like, a, a lot of students. It was, like, a thing that a lot of kids did was, like, take drum lessons with Mr. Locke. Anyway, so I did that. Yeah. And I think that definitely did have an impact on me, but then, yeah, and then, like, basically when I was kind of, like, a couple of, a little bit of guitar lessons, but I was a bass player from the time I was, like, 10 or 11. Uh-huh. I had kind of, like, zoned in on bass, and for the next, like, 10 years, that was what I did.
0: Do you still have an upright?
1: Yeah fuck
0: that's my favorite instrument mine too i mean if i I started on electric (laughs) bass and that's what i played for like the first 10 years of playing music and if i could have found my way to an upright i probably would have stuck with the bass
1: but they're just too fucking expensive well i just at some point it was like i i had taken like a year of guitar lessons and it was that stage in school where i was lucky enough to be in a school with a great music program and it was like I had to play something I had to like, yeah. pick it was like pick an instrument time, and I just basically you know convinced them to let me play the bass instead of the cello or the the violin and I don't even remember why, other than probably whatever it is that yeah. drives someone drive that is because it is kind of a mysterious oh it's just magical a mountain of an instrument, thing, but I was like i i want to play the bass I want to play the bass, and that was
0: still anytime <laughs> I'm on a gig where someone's got a, a bass, I ask if I can play it for a few, and I can only play for like. <laughs> On an upright for yeah. five minutes before my fingers Oof. just have nothing left.
1: Yeah, my—I I mean, I can still kind of like—I'll pick it up in, if I'm like recording and I can and I can plonk out an idea. but right. My chops. But walking the chops, a bass line
0: for more than thirty yeah, seconds more than 30 is seconds like impossible. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. But also, I mean, to be a kid in New York City, like on the Upper West Side, having an upright bass is kind of like a real estate commitment. That's. little unreasonable
1: yeah it's true yeah but buried in the it was yeah i think it it was like in the living room yeah um and and the one that i rented or whatever from somewhere i forget the one that i had to practice on but yeah it was like you know schlepping it around town and stuff
0: did uh did you start going downtown pretty early on check shit out yeah where'd you go
1: um i had a i had great fake id really (laughs) <laughs> was or or more likely the places i was using it really just, just didn't care. Fucking shit all yeah, and so by the time i was like uh you know um uh, 16 17 like junior year of high school i was going to knitting factory on Leonard Street and yeah. Tonic and New Blue and sneaking into all the places.
0: New Blue is an interesting place.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want I want to yeah, ask you is. some shit about New Blue.
0: Uh <laughs> New Blue is is such a mystery to me, but Wait, why did you start going to Tonic in the knitting factory? These are like fucking weird places. Why weren't you going to like the Continental or Coney Island High or
1: I don't even to know what those places are. Really? I really to this day. I mean, I I definitely was I wasn't in I wasn't like in bands. Like I was I was I was after like the the music I was after that music by the uh-huh. time I was in high school. That's what I right. was listening to. That's what I was I think the mix between the mix of like how i found my way to that i'm still not really sure but like my entry point to that to the to that world was like which even saying that makes it sound weird but like it's like sex mob Medeski martin wood yeah it's kind of groove based my yeah. yeah my like my my like door opening was like kind of groove based stuff like Used to listen a lot, of Charlie Hunter. You know, like yeah, that, seven like, string guitar. Love Charlie Hunter.
0: That first like, band with um, Jay Lane and the sax player. Uh, yeah, John Ellis. Yeah, I saw them at the side stage at Lollapalooza in like '93 or '94, Amazing. and I was like, "This is insane." Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I yeah, I used to, I, I remember I snuck in somewhere else that is now North North or something. It was used to a place that used to be like North, Soho. Yeah, and Soho place. Anyway, saw him there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, dope was the record label. Rope that was the was really... label. Yeah. Sort of championing that stuff.
1: Totally. And so that was my, like, I somehow got into that stuff. I mean, I don't know if it was my, I mean, my teachers at Harlem School of the Arts also were, like, in that scene. Who were like, they? Like, uh, Brad Jones. The ba- Man, Brad is amazing. <laughs> he's, like, yeah, he's one of the best bass players alive. And he's the nicest guy. <laughs> and he was my, he was my upright bass so teacher when I was, you know. Oh, fuck, that is. Thirteen.
0: yeah. <laughs> And you, but you didn't have any idea of who Brad was as a working musician.
1: I, but I quickly did find that out because I became obsessed with the. Probably, be, I think maybe it. May be, you know, it may all be Brad Jones, and also like the the connection to the New York thing may be like dominantly a Brad Jones thing because he can play, man. He can really play, yeah. and he was an awesome teacher and such a amazing, lovely human being. And I have a vivid memory of going to see. The Rebo's, Cubanos, Postizos. Yeah, at the Leonard Street Knitting Factory, and it was probably, probably because, packed, right? Probably, oh yeah, yeah, and probably because Brad was like, "I'll put you on the list" or something when I was like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, and that might have been like the end of the story, <laughs> and then after that,
0: <laughs> <clears throat> those first two Postizos records, uh, the yellow one, mm-hmm. which was the first one, and then it's very entertaining. The blue one, yeah, I was so excited about those records when they came out.
1: I I mean, I just, I still listen to the, both of those records. But the one that has um, No Majores Mas on it. Yeah.
0: The m- first one, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Rebo really hit something with those.
0: Yeah. Something that, like, it's not, that, that was a weird time. I remember going. Well,
1: yeah, because all of these things, sorry, but all no, of no. these things that I'm, that I'm mentioning and thinking about and, like, going to, you know, going to Tonic and seeing it, like, slammed at midnight for sex mob you know yeah like <laughs> that's a weird that's a, that's a great time That was a little pocket of time <laughs> yeah. that,
0: it was a little misleading maybe <laughs> i
1: you mean got, i'm still chasing that dream yeah <laughs> I, you know well i mean new
0: blue seems to be the place where that still kind of exists
1: yeah i mean yeah yeah it that, totally can
0: be well we'll, well we'll 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 get to that and we'll talk about that because it is something that needs a lot of remedying right now hmm. uh we we'll, we'll, we'll get to that we'll get Great. to that that um there is something to be said though i i when i first started getting into all this stuff and it's a broad world as we both know yeah, it's a yeah. it's a venn diagram that goes yeah. on forever but i remember buying records by by rebo that was that on columbia perhaps or it, uh oh, i got it right here uh this these those records were on what label is this? Arista,
1: is that right? I believe that. Yeah,
0: and I, I remember David. I bought um, a David S. Ware record that was mm-hmm. on Columbia, and I got like Zorn records that were on such. Yeah. and it seemed like oh, this was perfectly commercially viable music. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think maybe some of the people making those records were a little more misled than we were as listeners, but
1: yeah, I guess you know. Yeah, what the limit or the change in the commercial viability of that is, I don't know. But that music, the the I guess the thing that the thing that I still feel like I'm brings me back to those records is the thing that got me into them in the first place is the thing that I love about that strand at least, uh-huh. which is like its embrace of fun, yeah. like <laughs> you know, which is not to say that. I'm, I'll be the first guy to, to, say, to say, like, give me the no fun, you know, right, or, right, right, what, right, of or whatever that yeah, kind yeah. of arbitrary, you know, yeah. divide would be. But, like, the element of the synthesis of experimentation and kind of, for lack of a better word, like, well, actually, no, like, kind of sociality mm-hmm. that I think goes along with that music, I think was a big part of it for me.
0: Well, and it's unquestioned musicianship across the board. Right.
1: No, not getting sacrificed. You know, there's no pandering in any of it. Right. It seems genuine to me and it seems inviting. Right. Also, I mean,
0: being a solid performer who engages a room, that's its own skill that yeah. a lot of people we know kind of sleep on or feel like is totally, you know, not something to check out. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always think my brother is uh, two years older than me. You know, we're fundamentally the same age mm-hmm. with very different interests. And, you know, over the years, the shit that he, he loves Sex Mob, he loves Rebo, he he loves all this stuff. Yeah. And like with good reason. Why wouldn't he love this music?
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, like some and it was the thing that got me wanting to go see it and then mm-hmm. wanting me wanting to stay out late, sneak out, sneak in. And like, you know, there's a, a magic to the way that that music, it always felt like the connection between the the recordings and seeing those bands play was very like, was very permeable mm-hmm. and in a way. Like I think for me, because I was lucky enough to be here and I could go see that music mm-hmm. and see it as like a kid who was trying to figure out what kind of musician I wanted to be. And then I could go home and like listen to that record or like listen to the yeah like listen to the sex mob cd in the disc man on the f train on the on my way home yeah. after you know like it that fl- oh, kind of so like good all of that circling together was so huge for me it's funny
0: you know i've been a media junkie my entire life me like same six years old i started listening to shit and most of the people i know who grew up in new york city you know who are roughly the same age as me you know five yeah. to ten years plus in either direction um grew up media junkies and there's you know i remember specifically like if you're a media junkie in like the mid-90s there's no better place in the world than new york city yeah it's like tokyo
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's all there between the virgin megastore the tower records on 72nd or 66 or wherever that one was that's our one the one that was close to lincoln center yeah
0: it makes me wonder like there is just something like intrinsically exciting about retail About the smell, about going into a shop and being like, oh, I can't afford all this, but I sure want to.
1: The number of like lost afternoons and like Sundays I feel like I had just going to the old 50th Street, like the Sam Ash, Mm -hmm. Rudy's, Mm. Manny's strip when it was still there, just to like go in, just to go in and like hang out in Rudy's for like an hour
0: yeah I mean I really don't give a fuck about nostalgia and I like I, I just I don't want to like harp on that stuff but it is just something worth noting that like it was a cool time yeah
1: I mean I yeah I, I mean I think like I always think of that kind of thing yeah I'm not particularly I'm nostalgic for my own sure kind of experience yeah. with that but um I take a kind of like Almost a cold approach to the way that it works in New York because I feel like New York. What I love about New York is it is it's recycling itself, constantly. changing itself constantly. So like that kind of thinking of that those paradigms of shift in like New York culture. I'm kind of like that's yeah, fine, you know. Like yeah, would I like to go to the Tower Records? Yeah, but like it changes, right? Move on. <coughs> I
0: I realized one day I was in um. A- <clears throat> I used to work... I'm still kind of getting over something, so forgive me. Uh, I used to work in this office that was on um, 39th and Broadway. So when I would take lunch, I would inevitably end up walking through Times Square and stuff. And I remember one day... Just looking around saying, I'll bet, like, I was on a block. I was on, like, you know, 41st and 7th or something. And, you know, the streets were packed with human beings. And I was like, I'll bet that not 5% of these people live in New York. Right. Yet this is New York. Mm -hmm. This is as New York as it gets. I was like, outside Tad's Steakhouse or whatever. And that was, like, a big eye-opening experience for me. So what makes New York New York is a question that I battle with a lot. Because I fucking love New York City. And I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. And part of something that I deal with is, like, well, what makes a New Yorker a New Yorker is, like, a personal love and investment in this fucking crazy place. Like, here's something I found out a year ago that is endlessly fascinating (laughs) to me. I'll show you outside Mm -hmm. my window. Hookers were invented behind this building
1: what does that mean <laughs> what that, that means can't,
0: i mean <laughs> what that means is the park that's just outside this building is called <clears throat> Corlier's hook park and it's been there forever
1: this is the etymology of hookers
0: and it used to be that you know back when this was all a port city this little park was where like all the sex workers congregated and all the dock workers knew you could get whatever you wanted a lady boy a, a chick a dude whatever the fuck you were looking for that's where it was so sex workers were called hookers because they congregated at Corlears Hook Park.
1: Wow, incredible! So, and that yeah. to me, and I'm that's just, like, yeah.
0: If you don't own that information, then you're not a fucking New Yorker.
1: <laughs> not that, you know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. I'm still, you know, change. I'm still becoming, yeah. and I will always be just, becoming I just a mean New Yorker. It's like, if you,
0: if you live in this city and you don't have like an in depth, like awareness and appreciation of ev- of, of 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 some some percentage of what walked through it before you. Yeah. And fuck off.
1: I think that, you know, you and I may be like the last kind of generation of people who feel like that. You think? <laughs> I don't know. Is that? I, there's, I just feel like I know, I don't know, maybe it's just, I don't know that many people who are like really native lifer New Yorkers.
0: I gotta say, man, I've been and really- And so,
1: I'm, how attached can I, you know, it's hard I mean, to I mean, I didn't get, grow up in the city. Yeah, I, but I, I would, feel like you. At this point, you've grandfathered your grandfathered in. Right? I've lived
0: my entire adult life in New York. Yeah. I've I own a, po- a place. Yeah. I've opened businesses. Like I've, no, yeah. I'm a fucking New Yorker. Right. And I've been really sad the last couple of days about this Anthony Bourdain thing. I yeah, didn't know I mean, that I me would be too
1: man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh,
0: I met him a couple of times, and he was really nice, and. I found his books at a, like, an important time. You know, I I mm-hmm. got Kitchen Confidential when it first came out. I'm going to do all the talking on this interview.
1: Great. I mean, this <laughs> is great for me. We just you know,
0: but <laughs> but certainly something I picked up from Anthony Bourdain is an appreciation of time and place, which is why like
1: yeah.
0: my favorite place to eat in New York City. My favorite places are Peter Luger, um, Russ and Daughters fucking Barney Greengrass, yep. places where you sit down, like you are, you a Corner Bistro, like mm-hmm. you
1: are somewhere. Dim Sum. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Pick your fucking place, you know. <laughs> yeah. Any one of these, and it's just like that is, if you don't have that, you're not a New Yorker.
1: Today. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: If you're just as happy to go eat at Subway or... Right. Then you're not... It. And that's why I think the current infiltration of, of gentrification is particularly... Disheartening is because that's what's lost. Like people who come to New York to become a musician because they love the Velvet Underground, right? You're welcome. Come in. <laughs> you know, it's like you you're you're actively seeking to participate with this really crucial part of what this place is. But if you're living in a condo on North Sixth Street with no awareness of what was there before your place, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a lot of love for you.
1: Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that conversation is complicated and comes up a lot because I'm also now like a I mean, I've been living in Brooklyn for, you know, since I graduated from college. Right. So I'm like a Brooklyn guy now, but like I, by kind of default. And yeah, that stuff is really complicated I think in Brooklyn because of the the I mean, it, it all kind of gets summed up by like when the Vice off for me when the Vice offices bought the building where yeah. Death by Audio and Glasslands used to be. Yeah, uh, you know, that's kind of it. Poetic I guess. nugget of, <laughs> it's hard to, of what this looks like. It's hard like. to unpack it any more than that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it really is, Uh. It, but it also made, but just... at the same time, the, the like what was there in, in Glasslands, I guess the reason I brought that up was because that hurts, but. What was there in Glasslands and at Death by Audio felt like it was also like a new thing to me, at least. It felt like mm-hmm. an extension of the Velvet Underground spirit, totally. But new, but also fundamentally kind of a new vibe in New York that was certainly different from at least the the kinds of stuff that I was exposed to when I was a you know high school student going mm-hmm. going run around. Um, and and then. You know, the guys who are friends of mine who ran Glasslands, who now recently opened up a much bigger place. Which place? Called Elsewhere. that's in Bushwick. Okay. They couldn't have done that if they hadn't gotten run out by Vice. Right. So it's kind of like, I guess I'm like kind of synthesizing a few different things, but it's like that, what, those kinds of steps that are happening so quickly in Brooklyn of the like... Culture, economy. You're just being shift. chased around like a rat, though. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, if, if, if you're the person that truly like loves making shit, yeah. You just, what do you do? Do you accept that, like, you're always going to be on the run?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe change is fundamental.
0: <laughs> I, got, I have so much anger over this, and I got to get over it. And I, I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel good to be angry all the time, and it doesn't feel good to feel sad all the time, but there's something that I'll just never be okay with, with um, this, ch- it, there's a trajectory that seems pretty consistent, and it's just getting gnarlier and gnarlier.
1: Yeah. I think there, well, I guess I'm, I prefer to be the optimist. And yeah. To, you know, it doesn't mean that I always feel that way.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I medicate myself by doing things like I go to Shopsin's with a good frequency, and I eat, you know, I'm, I'm the consummate solo diner. I eat alone all over the city <laughs> all the time.
1: Yeah, that's a practice that I enjoy, too. It's it, the best.
0: Yeah. Um, I go to sh- fucking Shopsin's, I go to Veselka, I go to mm-hmm. Eisenberg's, yeah. and, and that is, that does the trick for me. So when did you start playing guitar? When did you say fuck the bass?
1: <clears throat> um... Oh, <laughs> I'll never say that. Yeah. I'm a, in my heart. I'm a bass player. Yeah. I'm all I will always be a bass player. Um, it just got to a point where nobody asks me to do that. People don't ask me to do that very often. Well, um, I mean, yeah, because I'm a guitar player now. But I became a guitar player when I started um, playing with Nicholas Jar, who was my. Uh-huh. When I I got Will, who I mentioned before, the short the short version. Will Epstein. Will Epstein. I know this name. Yeah. Um, he. Introduced me to Nico when Nico was putting together a touring band. Nico. Nicholas Jar, N- Okay. A.K.A. N- Nico. Um, <laughs> right. And was going to go do uh, like a summer of European dates. Um, and I don't know if you know uh, N- Nico's at music at all. Um, I-, I checked out Dark Side. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. So the lead up to Dark Side was that um, Nico makes brilliant, interesting – dance floor friendly but also ambient and now noisy and uh, kind of undefinable music mm-hmm. and when he and will were still in college nico put out his first solo lp and was getting offers to like play festivals wow. in europe and <coughs> uh put t- putting together a live band um to do it because he's a guy with like he's like computer machines keyboards and the sometimes singing um and Will recommended me to be his touring guitarist cuz he was looking for a guitarist and Will was like knew that I kinda played guitar but yeah. I was like you know we had played together a lot when we were in college together and um anyway so I ended up in Nico's band playing his music and then but suddenly I was like I went from like never having played guitar in front of an audience really How old is this This, this is you're... when I was like uh in my mid 20s
0: Did you go to music school?
1: Uh no I went to Brown
0: Really? My friend went to Brown. What did you study?
1: I studied. Uh, well, the 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 department at Brown is called Modern Culture and Media.
0: So you weren't studying the guitar.
1: No. Or the don't blues.
0: take this the wrong way, but I kind of thought you were like a Berkeley guy.
1: The, I wouldn't have taken it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. I would have taken it as a compliment yeah, 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 yeah. if you yeah. didn't set it up that way. <laughs> now I feel like I feel like I'm taking it the wrong way. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. no. no I, I,
0: I, I just feel like it's a touchy. Uh, no, I mean I yeah. have
1: I have really good friends um, who are Berkeley cats.
0: Yeah, they turn out good musicians.
1: Yeah, um, and they also and whatever the other thing is too. Yeah. Um, no, I uh, I went to I went to Brown University and I studied uh, after after it took me a couple of tries to get there after really? a year. <laughs> well, like after my the uh, my missed like my my high school time when i'm supposed to be getting good grades to get into a good college i'm also like mostly going to tonic every weekend and going to harlem 3 days a week and yeah. like not doing all of my calculus homework so when college admissions time came around i ended up you know going to school in ohio for a year um which was great which i loved Where'd you go? at kenyon college i don't know what that is exactly <laughs> but <laughs> not <laughs> but not to shit on Kenyon sure. College, because Kenyon is a great college, um, and that was, like, I had an incredible year there.
0: Um, you did bad in high school?
1: I'd say I did, well, I did good in the things I cared about, and I did bad in the other things.
0: Right. It was, like, mathematics, math
1: and, and science and yeah,
0: Language Spanish. arts, you probably killed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: I was lucky enough to go to this, you know, bonkers, you know, private school where, like, I read, you know, I got to, like, take a class where we read Ulysses my senior year of high school. <sighs> I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. You know, I did, I got to do like an independent study with an English professor when I was a senior in high school and get credit for it. And all we did all year long was read Wordsworth's The Prelude, <sighs> prelude like the epic poem. That yeah. was like a year. I met him once a week and we'd read like 20 pages of Wordsworth. I mean, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> and that I was like totally into. Um, but that won't get you into Brown. But eventually, I got into Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, why, why did you
0: specifically want to go to
1: Brown, or did you specifically want to go to Brown? It was more like, well, the only thing that I was chasing, which is why I ended up going to Kenyon and why I applied there in the first place, was I just wanted to kind of be doing what I was doing as a high school student, but like not have to do the other stuff. It was like I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I wanted to like take bass lessons, play in a jazz combo. And like read the books that I wanted to read, and like not do any requirements. So mm-hmm. the only requirement I had for college was just like just I'm into college. I want to go to college. Want to study, but like just don't tell me what to do. So
0: you just you <laughs> did all the prereqs at. Uh...
1: I never did any prerequisites.
0: You didn't do biology
1: <laughs> or anything. I, no, I went to they when my one year at in Ohio. I just I was like I think I probably will just be here for a year. So let me just cherry pick the. I had the intention of leaving because I was like too much of a New York. This seems like ugh, the autobiography. My own no, autobiography it, is exhausting myself. But like, <laughs> right, right, right. But, but I, was like, I like, still I don't know how college works because I did it.
0: like a year and a half and said, "Fuck, this right. isn't for me."
1: Well, so there are some schools where you can where they have like little or no core curriculum or requirements right. or whatever, and so those were the only schools that I applied to, and Brown is like chief among them. Right, where it's like there's no core curriculum, and you have to fulfill a few requirements depending on what department you're in. Oh, I didn't
0: know that about Brown.
1: Yeah, so that's why I was like then, and then Kenyon also was like pretty loose about that, and they have some requirements, but you can do them as you go. So my first year, I was just like cherry picking the course catalog, and it was like you know course on uh, Chinese philosophy, and a course on like some kind of American literature, and like yeah. yeah, you know, jazz ensemble and bass lessons and a handful of other things, and then, um, and then when I transferred and ended up going to Brown, part of the reason I ended up in the modern culture and media department um, was because they accepted all of these credits that I had accrued. There was... <laughs> Come on in, and they were like the epitome of a like, yeah, do what you want kind of department. And it what it's like Montessori doing, shit, kind of, yeah. And what I ended up studying was mostly like. It was like film studies and aesthetics and critical theory and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Do you watch a lot of film at that time? Yeah. Do you still watch a lot of film?
1: Yeah. And a lot of TV. Still TV? Oh, yeah, man.
0: Wait, I mean, you have like... The- oh,
1: well, <laughs> I mean, I'm my when I said before that my parents were journalists, I should have said that they're... Tell they were television journalists.
0: So what, like, what does that mean? Wait, well, wait.
1: like the t- like I grew up in a house where like the TV was on.
0: Is your dad like Dave B Cooley or something? Well,
1: my <laughs> um, actually my dad passed away when I was okay um, when I was like uh, about eleven. Um, but he was um, he was the he was like a he was a producer at the um, evening news with Cronkite. And okay. he like was, and he worked at the, then worked, I think when Dan Rather took over, he was then, producing those segments. He, well, his job with Cronkite was, there's a photo of this that I have at home that is mind blowing is, uh, was one of, when he was like probably about my age, maybe even a little bit younger. He, um, he sat under Cronkite's desk. He was the producer, and one of his jobs. You know, there are multiple producers. He was. He later became the executive producer, I think. But he s- literally sat under the desk and wore uh, the earpiece and the headpiece and those on mic with the control room and uh-huh. reading the wires because Cronkite wouldn't wear an earpiece. Fuck yeah, he wouldn't. <laughs> he was like, no way, old I'm school. not going to do that. Yeah, old school. as old school as they get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Journal So like journalism as a calling. You know. Right. Is journalism as you know, television as like uh as like uh this is where we learn about the did world. Did you get
0: to go down and watch television get made?
1: Um it did yeah, well by the time I was my you know, they ended up my mom was also a my mom I should say was a was a director of T V news. Um For what? Live Network. TV. First woman to direct TV news at CBS and NBC.
0: National or at the local affiliate?
1: Live national news. Like she would do the um Uh, like, the uh, political uh, conventions Uh and special events and stuff. And, like, sometimes, I remember, like, I forget if it was my mom or my dad who had to go in, but, like, you know, there's a plane crash in Iceland, and, like, she's got to go get on a plane and, like, go to Reykjavik and, and, like, call the shots. And, like, you know, there's a hostage crisis, and, like, you know, you got to run into the, you know, got to go to the office and, like, you know it's Call so it crazy as it happens. like I,
0: i've been when i was a kid i would watch tv it was not uncommon for me to watch it for seven eight hours at a time and the only reason it would stop is if someone would make me stop and i've been able to see tv made a few times in like up, up close you know mm-hmm. i was in a big brother program and my big brother was a cameraman for a local news org and he would take me out and watch how like rinky dink the whole operation is <laughs> Or I've gone and seen like Conan get taped live in the cool. Daily Show, yeah. and again you just see like how rinky dink right. the whole thing yeah. is.
1: It's amazing. <laughs> it's I mean yeah, it's one of my favorite things. I mean yeah, I and so which is to say like television was not vilified as a medium in my household. It wasn't like don't you watch that idiot box? It it's was how like, you earn a living. By the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like I would I like my more my memory of like every morning of my childhood is like waking up and the today show uh-huh. already being on on two or three different televisions in the house
0: yeah oh
1: man i love tv <laughs> i love tv
0: it's funny yeah. i went um not long a couple years ago i went to a taping in burbank of uh, of conan's show mm-hmm. i've been a couple of times and when you first get there it's the same studio that they used to tape the tonight show in uh with johnny and
1: i didn't know conan moved in okay cool well so
0: so but the thing is when you get when you walk when you get there and they used to announce it uh from beautiful downtown burbank Mm -hmm. i don't know if you know burbank or not
1: i i I don't think i've been to burbank on my trips to la recently but my guess is not so beautiful it's a fucking (laughs) shithole and like where
0: the studio is it's just like it's just like a dusty old part. i mean you know there's more to it than that obviously but it's just so funny to me how rinky dink the whole thing is. Yeah. It does it, it, it helps you feel okay about like the shitty studios we work out of and like <laughs> you know, just the swag stuff we yeah. have to do to get records made. Totally. You know? Yeah. Ugh Man, that's cool. You got to go grow up around T V.
1: Yeah, it was yeah, it was definitely like it was a thing. And yeah, my um
0: Did you ever go to Sesame Street?
1: I did go to Sesame Street. Fuck. Yeah. Or actually wait. I uh, did. I. I don't if you
0: tell me you went to Fraggle Rock, I'm gonna no, have a heart attack. No, oh, but
1: I, I. I do. I love the Muppets. Are really important yeah. to me. Um, uh, but I was I was on um. There's the tape. The Muppets somewhere. are from
0: the Upper West Side.
1: The Muppets are from the Upper West Side. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that explains everything. <laughs> wait,
0: what what wait. What were you saying, though?
1: Um, I got to see uh, I there's a tape somewhere of me <coughs> being um, uh, of like me at age three or something when when my mom was working on the Today Show and Big Bird was on and I'm like there in amongst the 15 kids sitting there eating Cheerios and like staring at Big Bird. It's the best. <laughs> that's the
0: best. That yeah. is the world of imagination that yeah. like, I feel like if there's any, like there's a million great reasons to grow up in a place like New York or LA and that's certainly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, being clo- being close to, yeah, it's funny like yeah, and it wasn't like, it was There was always TV journalism, so there wasn't like a, cele- there was never like a celebrity element to anything no. that I was cl- close to, but like, yeah, but yeah, the television thing stayed with me.
0: Yeah. Do you, t- today, do you have cable at your apartment?
1: No, I don't anymore. You got streaming That's, services? Yeah, but yeah. I have all of them.
0: <laughs> I do too.
1: And I enjoy them. Do you? Yeah. I find what I like. And, well, and I, like, I'll go on Jags with certain shows, and I'll I'll step back in time, you know, Do you like a House decade of cards? or two. Yeah?
0: That dude lives in this building. Uh, the dude that plays Doug Stamper.
1: Oh, somebody... Um,
0: Michael... uh fuck. Yeah. Yeah, he lives. Yeah. I see him and his kids all the time. Super Great. nice guy.
1: Right. He, yeah, he's like a New York theater actor. Yeah. Before, yeah, before, dude, he's right? like a
0: down-home yeah. Yeah. working actor who happened to find his way onto this show yeah. that we'll never see again, because... The lead thought, is a fucking yeah, perp.
1: That's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Oy. Um Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And I'll get upset. I'll. I'll like. I'll crawl down a hole with with a television show from the Me '90s too. or something, and Me just kind of like boom, 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 boom. Me too. That's a nice thing it's to do. That's shit. a nice way to relax. You know. Like sometimes, you know, just sit on sit on the couch, play my scales, and watch just, the television. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love
1: television. You're really sort of like, <laughs> I hate television. I hate... Like, the streaming thing, you can really sort of... You can choose your own adventure in a way that makes it seem less kind of, like, tyrannical of your consciousness. So, I've <laughs> got
0: subscriptions to Netflix, Hulu, Filmstruck. Maybe that's it. But you can really see the layers, like, like Hulu is, like, 99% shit. <laughs> Netflix is 95% <laughs> mm-hmm, shit. mm mm-hmm. And then Filmstruck is like 95% solid fucking shit <laughs> yeah. that I watch the least out right. of all three. <laughs> I
1: don't think there's any shame in that, man. I think that's I watch fine. a lot of shit. Yeah. I yeah. think that's important.
0: Did um The last time I saw you was at that gig that you put together like a year ago already. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. At Three's Brewing. Mm-hmm. And to me, something very special happened at that gig, which like... I played a duo set with Brian. We played thirty minutes or whatever, yeah. And which
1: was it was cool, really cool. Yeah,
0: Brian is my fucking brother from perhaps the same mother. Uh, <laughs> but I opened my eyes and Bill Frizzell came running up to me and gave me a hug. And he, you know, in his way, he just said, "How do you do that with the clarinet?" Oh man! <laughs> yeah, and I, I was like, "Holy oh, shit!" And I, I, remember saying to you because, like, I, I, I was like, "Hey, man, Frizzell is at your gig. Are
1: you losing it?" <laughs> but I was like, "Wait, I don't even know you. I don't know what your relationship to Frizzell is." I. The answer is, I was losing it. Yeah. But we talked after I would played. You and Bill? No, sorry. I that night after me and because I was playing you duo playing with, with Kenny. Kenny. Yeah. And you and I didn't know. I, Thank goodness. I didn't know Bill was there. Oh, okay. I just, I was like, I saw, De- it was Devin Hoff Devin was playing Hoff and, I, solo. and then you guys played yeah. duo. Yeah, and I, so after you guys played, I think I like, went to the bar, got a drink, right? sat down, made sure my stuff wasn't broken. You have this
0: amazing pedal board with all kinds of shit on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
1: I, every time I pull it out of the Pelican case, I'm like
0: let's, hope, let's it works. hope it works yeah.
1: um and so i was like oh good everything works and then i kind of looked over at kenny and i was like you want to play music and he was like yeah man and then we did it and then we we played and i playing with kenny and by the way like maestro w- one of the absolute great privileges of my life yeah. um like total hero yeah kenny yeah, Kenny Wallison. Not that I need to tell you, yeah, but, but just I mean, since I'm on the record, Kenny like, is one. Of, the mo- yeah, Kenny is like, yeah, yeah. Every time I play with him, I mean, yeah. Being being able to hang with Kenny and play with him is like one of the great privileges.
0: Um, Wait, let me just stop. Give you an oh shit moment for a second because I know you'll appreciate this. Please, and I don't give a fuck, man. Like I, I will name drop for the sake of a story. I don't, I don't give you. I'm
1: trying. You don't have to caveat that, man. I'm.
0: <laughs> when my wife and I got married. John Zorn's wedding gift to us was have Masada play our wedding.
1: Masada. The greatest <laughs> shit ever, you know?
0: But it was I knew it was going to be some ad hoc version of of Masada. Mm-hmm. And John, like uh, three or four days before the wedding, he's like, look, it's going to be me, Trevor Dunn, and um, and Kenny Wallison. So we print up the programs and everything. The morning of the wedding, I'm in the hotel with my wife. We're like, you know... Losing our minds and all this shit. And he, I get a uh, call from Johnny and say, Hey, man, you know, we're running behind. Is it okay? Like, I, I know I told you Kenny will be there. Is it okay if Joey Barron plays? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll, and I'll never, I'll never forget. I was, you know, I was like, yeah, that'll, that'll do, that'll be fine. Yeah, I think you. In that moment, I hope that you. I mean, I know it was your wedding, so it was probably hopefully, and I assume mostly about that. But right. I feel like, oh, it was also, you should feel like you kind of arrived in life yeah. when you get the call from Zorn, and he's like, that a okay sub okay? Baron for wallace totally Is that okay good. with you? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll show you. The, I have this picture. I've talked about this a million times on the podcast of.
0: It's like five minutes after we got married, my wife is in tears, and Joey Barron is holding her hands and putting his bald head to her hands, like, blessing her.
1: It's like, That's am out. That's it. Done. We done, We did it.
0: <laughs> all right. All right. So, wait. Go, so, going back to that gig at threes.
1: I just, yeah, I just, um, the short version is I just sat down, smiled at Kenny. I was like, you good? He was like, yep. We played. Yeah. We stopped. I was like, gave him a big smile. I was like, that was, that was great. I'm like I'm looking at Kenny Wallison, and I'm like life is grand. Yeah, and then I like put my guitar down on the floor to start packing up my stuff, and I turned to my right, and like ten feet away from me, Frizzell, Frizzell is sitting, he's just the guy. sitting there. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, um, and uh, and that was a really you know, and then he came over and we had a chat. And had uh, you met him before that? I had um, I had bumped into him somewhere like over ten years ago, and gone up to him and. Talk to him, but um, that's kind of of no consequence because I had, I had like communicated with him because when I was at Brown, a friend of mine, um, and I took over the Brown New Music Group. Okay. Um which like is like shows? Yeah, it was kind of like uh <laughs> it was an excuse to get a little bit of money out out of the music department to organize concerts a couple of times a year. Right. Um and the the guys who had done it before us did it in more of the kind of uh Philip Glass, Steve Reich, etc. Sure. kind of vein, um which was super cool and brought like something into the, you know, not a huge music department brought like something into the music department. That was really exciting. But When we took it over, I kind of, like, tried to turn it into, like, tonic. Right. (laughs) And so one of the things that we did was, like, was a concert where we did um, works inspired by visual art. And I was completely obsessed with the Richter Richter 858 record. Yeah. Um, And so I wrote an email to Lee Townsend being, like... Who's that? uh, Who's Bill's manager. Okay. Uh, and also, I think a manager, record producer—I forget okay. exactly. I think some of both of those roles. I should probably know who that is. Sorry. Um, something like that. I'm not sure if they still work together, but um, I just wrote. It's like contact. You go to Bill in right. 2000. I don't know six or seven, and that's where you end up is Lee Townsend at Bill Frizzell or whatever. Um, and he wrote me back immediately, and I asked him, "Can I get the score? Like, I want to do this piece at Brown. Can I get the score?" And he wrote me back, and he was like, "Let me ask Bill, see what I can do." And then like a week later, at my apartment in Providence, this manila envelope shows up in the mail, and it's photocopies of Bill's handwritten lead sheets for the record, and a note saying, hey Dave, like thanks so much for your interest in the music, hope it goes well, best, Bill. Oh, he's the nicest guy. Like, immediate response, totally genuine, like none of him, not even his manager was like, well, we really need $500 from Brown University, it was just like, yeah, here are my charts. <laughs> so yeah, I hope you realize Needless how special to say, that was. That was yeah. huge for me, yeah, yeah, humongous, yeah. and um, and so much so that I, as I was trying to keep it cool, like brought it up and told Bill that story at Three's Brewing that night at the gig. So I was like, "Man, I don't know if you remember this, but like, did he was this time? He said that he did. Yeah, he doesn't seem like a guy who would lie, and I can't imagine he gets that request for right charts no, he... on the eight five eight stuff that often. I had a conversation
0: <laughs> with Bill once, like a year and a half ago, and he definitely has a memory for events dates people you know like yeah. he's definitely retained yeah. a lot of yeah. of that's funny i i remember because after i said that to you like hey man you got to be feeling pretty good Frizzell's at your gig yeah i felt a little weird i was like oh maybe they're like friends and i i, I didn't <laughs> i hope i was like insulting in no, some way
1: well, no man i felt pretty great i he's mean he's kind of like the guy yeah to me yeah for me he's kind of like the guy I when mean, did you first hear his shit? Oh, I mean, well, that was part of the whole, all of the stuff that I was listening to yeah. when I was in high school. I mean, like, you know, Bluestream, for me, forget about it. I mean, so- that record, I, there was a summer at some point where I listened to that record every night.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Frizzell for a minute, because there's a lot of... I, I mean, I'm a casual Frizzell fan. As a person, I'm a huge fan. Just mm-hmm. have, like, as human to human, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Good for you. But he's really like he's the
0: guy for quite a for, for quite a few reasons. At the end of the day, when it ta- when you when it, his his harmonic language, his clarity of ideas, his use of effects pedals, like all all these different things on their own is enough to give a guitar player like mm-hmm. something to think about for quite a long time but he has all of this thing happening at one time. Yeah. What what was it that first grabbed you about forzel's playing?
1: Well, I mean for me, keep like all of these you know all of these formative guitar experiences are happening to me at a time when I'm a bass player. Yeah. So like I was definitely in high school and I was I mean, I could I had a guitar at home, but I never played guitar with people. Mm-hmm. Um and I never practiced guitar and I To this day, I still can't can't sight read treble clef. Oh, really? I I, I'm a bass player. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like I can now. I can open up the real book if I feel like challenging myself, and I I can learn ahead. Uh You know, but I'm not that kind of I'm not that kind of guitar player. Um, so it was just something on a purely musical level, like my introduction and my like absorption of the Rebo stuff and the frizzel, and you know, you know. Schofield, Metheny, Dave Tronzo, David Torn, you know, Terjei Ripdahl, all of my favorite guitar players Uh starts for me like not as, not in the context of absorbing them into my playing actively. And then they're there. But um, for Frizzell, it's just like, yeah, I mean, all of those things that I tried to like incorporate into my, in my mind at least, into being a bass player. Mm-hmm. You know, the like tasteful use of effects and the like patience and the melodic sensibility. You know, and the real feeling of you know listening.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I. I. I'm. Have you heard this trio that Zorn put together? It's Frizell, Kenny playing vibes and Carol Emanuel playing harp. Of course, I have, dude.
1: <laughs> so good.
0: That's. <laughs> That's the shit. It's so funny. You know, Lorraine Gordon died yesterday.
1: Yeah, I just saw that.
0: And the last time I I saw her, I went, you know, I don't fucking, you know, I was at the Vanguard for that band, the Gnostic Trio, to play. Mm-hmm. And for the entire set, she was just berating Zorn to his face <laughs> about, why isn't there a drummer? Why isn't there a sax? This isn't burning. This needs to burn more. <laughs> it's not
1: burning. Yeah. I, I mean, so that music good. is the opposite of burning, which is kind of why it's so wonderful. That music wonderful. To me, is so
0: perfect. Yeah. It's like, it need I need nothing more,
1: yeah so wait.
0: how old were you when you when you switched over to the guitar officially
1: I mean, I guess like when i was uh twenty three twenty four twenty five somewhere in there it's a lighter load,
0: yeah, carry around a guitar.
1: Yeah, except the way that I play guitar, it's like <laughs> like a fucking... you know a pelican that weighs you know thirty five pounds and a backpack full of garbage. <laughs> Are you so? I got a big
0: shit thing of pedals up there, and I am always cycling them in and out like a revolving door. I feel like you actually use your pedals.
1: Yeah, I do. I thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I definitely like. To me, well, a part of it is that the guitar players that I the guitar players that I like there is an element of that, and but also. You know, my my entry point into playing, becoming a guitarist was in electronic music. Yeah. So a lot of that, you know, the playing in Nico's band and Dark Side, you know, the pedals, pedals, the pedals were always a thing that I had accumulated. I was like that, you know, at various stages, kind of annoying kid who was like bass with pedals. You mm-hmm. know, like I went through my peaks and valleys of that. Sure. Um, which can be great and can be... You know, like you're not a guitar player, man. You know, <laughs> well, the guitar is an interesting instrument. Yeah,
0: the electric guitar because on its own, it doesn't sound like anything.
1: Also true. It, yeah. if, if if you cut the
0: power, right, an electric guitar player doesn't have it's... a gig.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, and I guess I like to lean into that as the short version of what I'm saying is yeah. that you know the using using the pedals as like expressive tools right. is what is most interesting to me. Not so much like, um. Oh whoa, it sounds like a blah 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 now. You know, not not like to right. the point of like, oh, not like the kind of science experiment pedals that are like, whoa, it sound now it doesn't sound like a this or that anymore at all. And like make your guitar into a something crazy. Mm-hmm. You know. Like, I like it as like I mean the the thing and most of the things that I've settled into doing with the with the pedals um since Dark Side stopped being a band is like trying to, like, extend the limit of what the guitar can do. So, like, the it's more about, like, various stages of sampling, looping, and manipulation of the actual guitar sound. Mm -hmm. So being able to, like, which is kind of the electronic thing for me, which is, like, being able to pull, you know, make the guitar do things that it shouldn't do, but still kind of be a guitar.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How much of... And, and, and
0: again, just for you know, for anyone who's listening, like the pedal board that you were using that night, at least, like it, it seemed like a pretty full orchestra of of crazy, you know, boxes. And one thing I, I as like a pedal fetish, fetishist myself, mm-hmm. I really like pedals that, like the Strymon Timeline delay pedal. Mm-hmm. I love that pedal. For a variety of reasons. Is Not that
1: the, the one you were using that night at threes? All night, I was using that one night was pedal, a reverb pedal. And I was yeah. like, oh, what is he doing? So I just. You're like, it's just the one pedal. Yeah. And I was like, he's just, this just just the one thing. And it was so, you did so many things. Well, with philosophically, it. we got to talk about <laughs> okay. that because
0: I'm getting rid of pedals right now <laughs> if they don't do more than two things for me. Like each pedal, I'm like, oh, i got that thing I do with it. Mm-hmm. But the, the Strymon uh, timeline, do you have one?
1: No, but I know, I've used them. I know yeah, them.
0: it's I like, yeah. you know, arguably one of the best delay pedals yeah. out there. Yeah it's a really musical pedal which is it's got built into it and you don't have to learn the pedal that well to do this you can hold your foot down on um any one of the switches and it'll start swelling the delay so they've designed this thing that speaks immediately to a musician's uh sensibility like you're not leaning over and dialing things in you're just stomping your foot down to kind of feel the music as it's happening and I, I, I through that pedal, I've learned. Oh, I, I only want pedals that respond in that way. Yeah, you know, I never dug that green line six because it always. You like it?
1: I love it. I love it. I have. I have a good. Like I have. Um, I have a like a control. I've like retrained my, my it's that pedal is like a part of the guitar for me almost. That's like the point. brain of your rig. No, it's just a it's a piece of it, but it's a thing that I use exp- I use expressively like I think through that. Yeah. There are a couple of pedals that and like processing things where like my ideas s- like start while I'm improvising knowing where they're going to go when they get to the Sure. the pedal. And like I have this knob that I I had this guitar modded to have an extra, this is just the most guitar thing, but I had one of my favorite guitars um, modded to, and cut apart to have an extra jack put in and another knob on the thing so that I could control parameters on the Line 6 pedal with it. And then I have now, whenever I buy a guitar, I slap a piece of Velcro on it and I buy these knobs from someone who makes them in yeah. uh, San Francisco or something and I stick it on. So all my guitars are immediately ruined when I, by like slapping industrial Velcro on them <laughs> and then putting this knob on it yeah. that talks to that thing and like – as I'm, it's like part of my muscle memory of yeah. playing guitar is manipulating that knob while I'm playing, thinking and feeding the it's green so good. machine. It's just part of the thing for me now.
0: Yeah, but so you <laughs> shouldn't be able to. My thing with pedals is, unlike uh, if anyone listening to this like doesn't care about pedals, I'm sorry.
1: Take I, a, take an intermission or go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, like fair enough. <laughs> the
0: yeah. the thing is like. My idea with studio gear is that it should sound like what it is. Like, if I go to a really expensive studio and, like, you know, we throw an Echo Plex on the thing, Mm -hmm. like, I want it to sound like an Echo Plex. And I want people like you who hear the record to go, Oof, that Echo Plex sounds juicy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But with pedals, I feel like if you can identify what the pedal is, the person using the pedal has failed.
1: I completely agree. That's why, yeah, that's why, that's, I think I was trying to say a version of the same thing, which is like extending the instrument versus turning it into the sound of the pedal right to me totally different things right yeah
0: that being said i have one pedal <laughs> that is like as i bring pedals in and get rid of pedals this i'm like wow this fucker's here to stay yeah uh and the the company i'm not gonna say who it is No, I'll these tell are you, trade secrets yeah i'll yeah. tell you off the of mic i'll show them to you i have yeah. three of their pedals they all do one thing and it is so gnarly it requires zero musicianship. And it is the thing that, like, I know one other person who uses them. Hmm. And when I hear this person use them on record, I'm like, oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's just that they make these fucked up sounds.
1: Yeah. I can't wait to. That's, yeah. that's a little Easter egg for me for later. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, wait. So I want to talk about New Blue because I remember when I met you, it was at the lot radio.
1: Oh yeah, when you were
0: with Brian. With Brian it was, again, yeah. it was about a year ago. Yeah. And um and Brian was very surprised that I didn't know you. And <laughs>
1: wow, I am like, a little I'm I'm humbled by that. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Well,
0: you know. <laughs> and and here's the thing I realized. I was like, Wait, who is this guy, you know? And I went online and I was like, Oh, okay, he's like a new blue guy.
1: I've never... Which is not not true. <laughs> it's not, not true. <laughs> yeah.
0: You want to know something? I've never been to New Blue. Huh.
1: That's fucked up, right? Yeah, that's that is yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's fucked up for a variety of reasons. For a couple of reasons, but also, you know, I get that.
0: I managed the stone. I know, for five years. I feel
1: like I, I we we definitely met during that right. time. How
0: far is the stone from New Blue? I mean, yeah, three or, blocks. Yeah, the old stone. The yeah, old
1: the old stone and the old New Blue are three blocks from each and other. And
0: there's a crew of people like a New Blue. Like it almost feels like. And again, I, obviously, I'm the last person who should be speaking to this. But there's like, you know, house musicians in a way, people. Yeah. Like Kenny, for instance, who's totally. like a down home new blue boy.
1: Yeah, but I, you know, I mean, Kenny is a very, I th- in in a way, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there is over, there is and there is an overlap in a weird way. I right. feel like between those two worlds. I mean, there fundamentally is, but. It doesn't surprise me. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to canonize that. But like, I guess I'm surprised you never went to New Blue. Yeah. But also, yeah.
0: I was 35 the first time I went to the Village Vanguard.
1: Huh. Fair. (laughs) You just have particular tastes. And you're allowed to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: But there really is a whole scene in New Blue that's like, specific to the venue specific to yeah. the the vibe
1: yeah there is a there is a vibe element to it that you know that ilhan has curated yeah through the years um and there is this and you know there is a a sound to the place i mean i like i used to sneak in a tonic used to sneak into new blue yeah um and the fact that i you know i think that like there is a kind of surface connection, if not like, but also like, I mean, I play with Ilhan all the time. I love playing with Ilhan. Yeah. Um, but like the element of um, sociality uh-huh. that I was talking about before uh-huh. is woven into the fabric of that place. And so I think that's part of why I've become really enamored with being well, in that community right
0: and new blue you know the thing that a lot of people sort of bemoan since tonic went away since zebulon went away yeah. is that like which i zebulon was maybe my favorite new york venue ever um is that the hang has gone away yeah and i feel like the hang is retained at, uh,
1: at the hang new is blue. strong in new blue. the hang is strong <laughs> yeah
0: so when did you first start playing there
1: um after i guess like you know about four or five years ago something like that kind of like after dark side went on indefinite hiatus and i found myself back in new york with no tour and no gig and unsure of what i was gonna really do next yeah um i had met ilhan um through will epstein funny enough yeah um because ilhan used to be will's sax teacher when Will oh, was like funny. 10 years old or something. That's funny. Like when, uh, I forget, how, I, Ilhan told me a story recently, but like, yeah, he didn't have that many students, but he had, he like he like taught Will. Um, yeah. And we ran into Ilhan when we were in, when I was in Turkey with Nico and Will. Of course, Ilhan was there sitting in with Mulatu Estatke.
0: Are you serious? Yeah. Mulatu.
1: Yeah, well, Nico and Will were obsessive are obsessive huge mulatu fans i mean it's hard not to be yeah i hadn't i wasn't hip to it before hanging out with those guys and they turned me on to it and there was we were playing like the nico solo band was playing it was just me and nico and will three of us and in uh bodrum and uh mulatu was playing the night before at the same venue and so nico and will were like we gotta go in day early and pay for the hotel rooms or whatever and like see mulatu and so i was like great and we did and then we got there and ilhan was sitting in with mulatu because ilhan's the mayor of bodrum i guess in his spare time um (laughs) and then i was like i leaned over to will i was like well that's that's ilhan that's ilhan from new blue man and he was like that's my old sax teacher (laughs) <laughs> he was like what that do you mean so funny. <laughs> ilhan from new blue i was like ilhan <laughs> He was like yeah my sax teacher <laughs> and so That's then fucking hilarious. then will introduced me to him and we had this we had this bizarre laugh and interaction and then when i got back to new york i started playing at new blue and hit him up and, and yeah we've just kind of been friends ever since
0: is it does it feel like a home club or am i making that up yeah yeah
1: totally yeah i mean it's like yeah i mean i I played there on New Year's Eve on my birth, which is also my birthday oh, this year. Yeah, that's <laughs> so awesome. So, like, what if that's not Home Club? Then, yeah, you know, yeah, then yeah. what else is? I mean, and, and the real, and like, you know, Ilhan was, Ilhan was the one who introduced me to Kenny. Yeah. You know, when we, the three of us started playing as a trio. And then, then that was when Kenny and I then started doing duo stuff. And I, you know, Ilhan will, you know, I have like a rotating cast, like late night. Band that it's kind of like uh, my imagining, like my my imagining of like good old days at Tonic, where Uh you could see like kind of groove ish free improvisation. Yeah, and they'll and I play I'll play shows there. They'll let me do that, you know. Like we'll do that at late at night. Yeah, you know. Like I'll get like six or eight or ten people in a band with no tunes and no rehearsal and go like. (sighs) at a late hour and they're into it and it's a thing and it's that's been like really important for me yeah huge community building
0: yeah that's a big part of it yeah what was the gig you did a gig recently was
1: it a pioneer works yeah
0: a big gig a big gig a william burroughs gig
1: kind of well you know it's funny you say that because, you know, if I was going to say it it's more of a Brian, Brian Geisen gig, gig, which right. kind of sums up the... The, the, <laughs> the, the, the frustration? The, the plight. Well, no, not not, not for me, but yeah. like the plight of Brian Geisen is people being like, it's a Burroughs thing. And somewhere, Brian Geisen's ghost being like, man, I invented that thing. The cut-up <laughs> technique or the... The cut-up technique and yeah. like, you know, everything. Like, Brian Geisen kind of getting lost in the, in the you know, shadows of history. I, I, I know exactly what you're <laughs> saying.
0: And as, you know, a person who... Quite honestly, you know, with the writing of Burroughs, I've have said this on here many times, but uh, you know, as a kid, I went to Bucks Rock, and we had a counselor there, and I'll never forget this. I will, for, I mean, this was, if I could isolate one moment in my life, he uh, at a talent show, one of the camp counselors, who we were all really fucking mm-hmm. drawn to, really like, you know, he he was the coolest guy to us. He performed a song with just vo- his voice and an acoustic guitar. And after the concert, I said, that song was amazing. Did you write that? He goes, no, the song is called Time. It's by Tom Waits. And I was like, what's Tom Waits? And in a week, he gave me Rain Dogs and Naked Lunch, which, done. There's no turning back yeah, from done. that, man. So I, I would say the Burroughs, <laughs> I, I found myself largely through his books, specifically wow. Queer, Junkie, Inner Zone, and Naked Lunch. Yeah. In high school, those books were very essential to me. Me too. And I will say, I'm well familiar with the output and and ouvre of Brian Geisen. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be like a... no, but it could be worse. He could have been lost completely. Oh yeah, totally. That, that we know him totally. as like yeah.
1: The fact that you and I are sitting here talking about Brian Geisen, is, a secondary cat, is, yeah is yeah. May we all suffer the fate of being Brian Geisen yeah. in history.
0: So Brian Geisen <laughs> developed the cut up technique.
1: Yeah, um, amongst many other things, and was part of the you know part of the whole. That the Tangier's Tangier portion of the expat beat, right? Et cetera. Uh, Paul Bowles, master musicians at Jujuka, uh, Brian Jones,
0: the Rolling Stones going in, yeah,
1: the whole ornette, the whole thing, ornette. Um, and the Pioneer Works gig was is like kind of hard to describe, but um. Was, is called, or is this kind of like project, I guess, that I have now, or that I'm part of now, a collaboration between me and uh, Sophia Bruce, who's a vocalist okay. and, uh, and a composer and um, curator, and uh, Ken Farmer, <coughs> who runs a, uh, who is a production designer, video artist, um, uh has a company called wild dogs so the three of us kind of cooked i met him i met sophia doing something we got set up on a friend date by one of my best friends andrew fox he uh-huh. was like you two should know each other go and yeah we like you know we talked about all the same stuff you and i've been talking about mm-hmm. this whole time um and uh i met ken because he was doing visuals for z's oh yeah um and i was like this is cool and i started talking to him and we were like Oh, let's do something. Anyway, um, Dream Machine is uh, a – it's taking this idea of the the Dream Machine, which is this object invention that Geisen and Burroughs and Ian Somerville, who was a ma- mathematician who was part of their scene, uh-huh. um, came up with, which is a, It's basically a device that's a cardboard tube with slots cut in it at a certain – uh, spacing so that when it spins on it, and you put it on a turntable, and you stick a light bulb in it, and then when it spins, you look, you get close to it, and you close your eyes, and the flicker rate of the light starts to induce varying degrees of visions behind your eyelids. So that's that's what the dream, the original dream right. machine is, and then which I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm telling you stuff you no, already no, know, no, no, but no, no. for the sake of this, no, thing. this is great. Um, okay, so that's like the original thing, and then. The project that we do that cribs the concept and the name from it is basically taking that and making it huge. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the idea was um, was born when you know I've been doing these projects where I do like uh, live improvised film scores on and off for the last couple of years. The best um, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Um, one a formative experience for me was seeing Frizzell do his hit some of his film scores live at prospect park probably mm-hmm. 10 or more years ago mm-hmm. and i was like this is incredible friselle and kenny and tony doing yep buster keaton in the band Ugh. shell oh i mean
0: <laughs> <coughs> better than that you can't get
1: yeah um so i have like my kind of take on doing that and um i was talking with sophia and she was like she she's organizes a festival in australia um wants her twice every once or two years and um she was like maybe you should come to a film score and then we got to talking more and then she told me that she that the master musician master musicians of Jujuka were gonna be at this festival and I was like oh interesting and then we kind of stumbled into this idea like dream machine and it just grew and grew and grew from there because I was like she was like visuals and improvisation, like the thing that you do and then she was like, Jujuka will be there and I was like, Jujuka and I was like, Do you know about the Dream Machine? And she was like, Let's do that. And then now we make it now we've made it this huge project. Wait, and you
0: had the master musicians at the show in
1: Brooklyn. Oh yeah, and the you know and then so so was fast it, forward like a year and change later, Bashir, Bashir and Mustafa were playing with us at Pioneer Works with the this ensemble that was put together from friends of ours and people that uh between me and Sophia we reached out to and um it was like uh like a uh like a really dream yeah. band. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, personal yeah. dream band yeah. of like, you know new New York heavy maniacs.
0: Heavy, heavy, like all the heavies. Yeah,
1: like all the heavies from yeah. all different stripes of heavy. Um, Did you get to
0: hang with Bashir and Mustafa? Yeah. And talk and, talk and break bread? Talk and chill
1: and, yeah. What? What's, you can't,
0: I mean, I don't know if you can answer this. You probably can't. But, like,
1: what, what do those dudes
0: think about, like, for 50 years now, Western musicians coming and being like, I want you to do
1: something? Right. Like, that's gotta... Well, it was interesting because... Yeah, I mean, they, it was so, and I've heard a lot of that stuff too, like, you know, this stuff they've done with Laswell, right. um, and the, and like the, the Ornette record, the Dancer, Dancing in, in Your Head. head. Which is, um, oh. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite records. Yeah. Um, so, but, it, you know, so I, I mean, I kind of internalized the idea that this, you know, like we, we didn't invent the, the idea of like bringing them into like something was not something that Sophia and I invented. Right. But So I had, I was kind of like figuring that they were going to be unfazed by it, obviously. But then in the rehearsal process, it was really interesting the, the way, also it was like, you know, unwieldy, uh, awesomely unwieldy band to be musical directing, which is yeah. what, what Sophia and I were doing, um, which is deeply intimidating and exciting. And, you know, being in Pioneer Works for a rehearsal day <laughs> with like... Yeah. <laughs> Bashir and Mustafa, and anyway, you know, then he was uh, Trevor Dunn, and, Trevor Greg Dunn and Greg Fox and Zena Parkins uh-huh. and uh, C. Spencer, uh-huh. uh, Leah Bertucci uh-huh. doing tape machines, incredible. Bill Cooligus, Pan, like um, Oliver Coates, who had done an earlier iteration of with who I love playing with. Yeah. Oliver Coates, incredible player. I mean, all these um, Andrew Fox, my buddy. Uh-huh. In it. um, it's such a big band. I don't want to forget anyone. Um, but being there for. Kat this... Matias from Australia playing okay. percussion amazing orchestra anyway um, I think that's every... oh, and, oh and my homie Stuart Bogey oh Bogey uh, uh, Bogey true true
0: clarinetist fucking Bogey man yeah Bogey is I've never met Bogey face to face okay but Bogey I know several he's an important person to so many people I know he mm-hmm. seems like 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 such like a central like a part of the nervous system of the way things come and go in music in New York and the world yeah fucking bogey man fucking
1: bogey yeah, yeah. bogey D- yeah I mean
0: you talk to Colin Stetson you're, you're gonna talk, talk, to talk Matt about bowder bogey. you're gonna talk about talk to bogey. these guys <laughs> bogey bogey yeah
1: yeah bogey and I became buds in the last couple of years um and I've played in his band he's played in my band and uh, we're, I'm working on a, his next solo record with him. We're making a bogey, like, I, sh- I don't know if, but like, uh, bogey solo record, like yeah. produced by me and oh, my man. friend Phil, who's an, an, an engineer Long i Long So it's just the three of us making like a bogey forward, like just bogey on horn record. Yeah. I won't say any more. I'll leave right. the rest B- is like, bo- you know, but like fucking bogey, man. Yeah. Anyway, and if- so of course bogey was there. And Arrington, uh, uh, Arrington D'Inosio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another Maniac tenor man um so anyway huge crew and with the master musicians with bashir and mustafa it was i didn't i didn't really make any assumptions about them i was just thrilled to have the opportunity i was like they're gonna be there great you know right check done like like this is it you know (laughs) this is (laughs) like this is uh, absolutely unreal like i'm done here yeah um and it was just really interesting to see what they responded to what seemed to excite them the most because i kind of the one assumption i made was like they've done it all yeah you know it's like what are we going to bring into their zone that like ornette and laswell and you know and the rolling had, stones, the rolling stones yeah. haven't already you right. know like what how and but there were moments in the rehearsal process and then in talking about the shows after and where it was like there were mo- where uh, there were like certain things that happened in the you know the nature of the way that we'd written the score for the piece and the structure or certain interactions between ensemble members and the where they were like they were like oh this is this this thing you know yeah. and those were the moments that i was like oh interesting like huh you know like they're they like this thing is this is really happening and i was like wow you know hey. i'm sure those guys
0: have high speed internet connections and iphones and all that shit or maybe they don't but i you know since anthony bourdain passed away the other day like Mm -hmm. the other night i watched like back-to-back episodes of
1: i haven't been able to do that yet but it'll happen i watched his episode of
0: tangier and he goes to where they live and he spends time with them he eats with them and they do like an all-night performance and like as colossal as those dudes are to 20th century, 21st century music, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they live in a tiny little
1: place. Yeah.
0: And have, you know what I mean? It's not, I, I think we forget because we live in this land of shit where right. like you're just inundated at all times. Like yeah. those
1: dudes have like a pretty clear and 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 Well, and it wasn't always that way, and I learned a little bit of like you know secret history in that when the other be from Genesis, who was the Uh other huge part of that show. Yeah, Genesis. I mean, yeah. Uh, There was a phone call before I met Genesis between me and Sophia and Genesis, just to like hash it out a little bit, make sure that Genesis was cool with like this is how it's gonna go, this is what we expect of you. I was in the position where I had selected what I thought would be good Brian Geisen texts for Genesis to use uh-huh. as foundations uh-huh. for improvisation. <laughs> and so I was like, then suddenly on this phone call talking about it. Yeah. Um, which was like uh, amazingly fun and warm and like just inspiring and like the opposite of like, it couldn't have been less stressful. It right. Was just like easy and amazing. Right, 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 right. Um, and Genesis was talking a little bit about how, uh, um, Bashir and Mustafa, they used to live when they were living in New York, they were all friends. And Genesis was telling us this story about how she would write, um, like writing letters to the consulate or something like helping them with like legal troubles in the eighties or in the nineties about like living in New York and they, it was the whole thing. And then Bashir said something about how he's like, yeah, and then we left. Now we just, now we live in Morocco. Yeah. So that they had kind of done the thing. They had, <laughs> it had happened. Right. And now they're like, yeah, we'll just, we'll come over and do this dream machine with you and then we're going to go home.
0: Go back to Morocco. Yeah. Have you been to Morocco?
1: I have. Actually, the, um, I was there for a week when I was, uh, around the, when I was, uh, around the end of the time that I was at Brown, um, because I was working for, um, uh, as a research assistant for a comp lit professor, which mm. was where all of this, the seed for all of this stuff got planted for me when I was working for this professor, helping him design a course that was about all this stuff that we were just talking about. Burrows, uh Morocco, Bowles, Jejouka, mm-hmm. Barnett. Um, he had wanted for a long time to teach a class about expatriate um, collaboration and intersection in Morocco in like mid 20th century. Um, yeah. And, I took one of his classes and I wrote a paper about something vaguely adjacent to that. And he was like, hey, do you want to be my research assistant? And I was like, yeah. Fuck, that was man. my job for a couple of summers was, and one of those summers I got to go to Tangier and like go through some old libraries and try to look for some stuff about pirates and mostly just bum around the city. Smoke hash. City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and just chill. Smoke hash, drink tea. And-, <laughs> and like watch people walk by. Oh, man. I think I need to go. Yeah, why not?
0: I haven't seen a lot of places.
1: I've done, I have the kind of like, uh, many tours. Yeah. But you don't, like, really, see you don't really see. Yeah, it's such a cliche. I, I mean, don't through touring, want to I've been it, to like 30 different thing. countries. It's, I, yeah, I but got that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like, cool. I spent a fucking day in Zagreb. Like, I haven't been to right. Croatia. Right. <laughs> I spent, yeah. a day, you know, I sound checked in Ljubljana, played the yeah. gig, and then left. Like, I haven't been to the fucking Slovenia. Yeah. Exactly. I need to go. Are we? Do we do it?
1: I think we're good. Up to you, man. Yeah. Do we get it? This Feels is good, good to man. me. <laughs> this is rad. Thanks, Dave. Thank you.
0: All right. That was Dave Harrington. Hope that you guys enjoyed that. He's a good guy, that Dave. And uh, check him out. To all his stuff. Really, really well worth your time. Go to herringtone.com to to check in on what Dave's up to. He stays busy. He's in the, you know, the night that we recorded this, he was working in the studio uh, producing a record and literally, like, left the studio to come do the thing and then went right back to the studio. I dig that. Go to the 5049 website. uh, Check the links. I got a new record coming out called Decay of the Angel. Um... That should be out soon. If you're in the south, come check me out this week. And uh, that's it. Hope you guys are all doing well. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.